Radio. Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet. Showing you how to collapse time frames in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm, I'm here to help. My, my name is Nicholas Jensen. And, and this is Unlimited Wealth. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jensen. Hey, today we're going to talk about one of those topics that is often neglected by business owners, but is crucial to have in place in order to protect your family and your heirs once you decide to leave the business or if you unexpectedly pass away. So my guest today is Stephen Goodman. He has insightful solutions to challenges that business owners face. Uh, He focuses on wealth preservation, retirement planning, charitable planning, and really preserving wealth for those that are have closely held businesses. He's the author of the book, Business Succession Planning, a guide to transfers, sales, family harmony, and minimizing litigation. So please help me welcome our guest, Stephen Goodman. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Nick, I appreciate you having me on as a guest. You bet, uh, as we were chatting offline uh, right before we got on, you're over there in in New York and and have spent some time there in Florida, and we've kind of talked a little bit about the crazy world that we live in right now. But, uh, But today we're gonna talk about business owners and the crazy stuff they have to deal with when it comes to succession planning and and really trying to figure out what's the best way to exit their business or to pass that business on to via partners or family members or, or things like that. So to get started, would you mind just uh, telling the audience who you are, what you do, um, and a little bit about your background? That, that would be great. Thanks, Nick. So basically, um, I'm a husband of 40 years. I have two children and two grandchildren. As you said, I live in the New York area and I also have a place in Florida. I've been doing this work for 30 years. I started out in public accounting. I work for one of the big accounting firms, KPMG, Pete Morgan. I'm a CPA. I worked for JP Morgan in their private bank for about three years as a VP. For 30-ish years, I've owned the consulting firm SHG Planning. And basically, I do high-end, sophisticated business succession, estate planning, principally for entrepreneurs, many of them family business owners, as well as high net worth individuals. Awesome. Do you deal in the family office space at all? Just out of curiosity. You know, occasionally, yes. Okay, cool. So the one of the, one of the things that I'm always harping on is helping business owners and entrepreneurs understand, hey, these high net worth individuals and these high net worth businesses, they're doing certain things to preserve their wealth. They're doing certain things to make sure that the wealth that they've worked so hard for is able to last not only for their lifetime, but for generations to come. And I'm of the opinion that the average, if you will, business owner can implement a lot of those same strategies for themselves to help preserve that wealth too. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Well, I would say to you that obviously the tax burden, the estate tax burden is going to be very different depending upon the size of somebody's estate. I mean, under current laws, you know, federally, you can give away $20 million when you die and have no federal estate taxes. I mean, who knows who's going to win the election, but if Biden were to win the election and the Democrats control the Senate and the House, that's probably going to change. And it could go back to where it was, you know, around Obama's time where it could be seven to $10 million estate. And there's, 
there's a lot of people that fit between those two numbers that today will not incur an estate tax where in the future they may, which is part of why planning so hard because Biden could win and four years later, you could have a Republican and they could change it back again. So it's, you know, it's very, very difficult. So from a, an estate tax standpoint, I would say that, you know, there's a very small percentage of people that need to really focus on that to save on, on estate taxes because of the wealth you need. But I, I think that where more of the issue comes into play, and I don't care whether you have a business worth you know, $100 million or a business worth a million dollars, there are issues pertaining to succession. And when you have kids in the business and kids not in the business and the emotional decisions that business owners have to make as to who do I leave this business to? When do I leave it to them? How do I treat my children that aren't in the business fairly with my kids that are in the business? Those, those issues exist whether you have a small business or a large business. Yeah, and that's one of the, the things that I think, actually, let's go down that rabbit hole because I would say the majority, not everybody, but the majority of business owners have some type of family tie. Very, very few business owners are like a, a lone guy with no wife, no kids, things like that. So there's going to probably more likely than not be some type of family component involved. And I, I just finished reading a book this last summer called Family Fortunes by, by Bill Bonner. And they were talking about kind of succession planning a little bit and this generational wealth and, and how to treat, you know, family inside and outside of the business differently. From your perspective, I, I guess, number one, what are the biggest pitfalls that a lot of business owners run into that they either fail to take care of from a succession planning standpoint or they choose not to take care of. So they either, it, it either bypasses them or they miss it, they don't think about it, or it's been brought to their attention, but they just choose not to, to address it from a succession planning standpoint that really causes a lot of problems when that time comes. What are, what are some of the biggest pitfalls there? We actually asked a question in a way that I don't normally get asked the question, and I, I think you, you put it in a very, very clear way. So let me address both of them. The two, I would say to you, the two major reasons people don't plan, let's say for the succession of their business. The first one is like inertia, like they're busy, they're entrepreneurs, they're putting out fires. Every day, look, I'm an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur, you know, every day there's another emergency. So, you know, planning means taking time away from today to worry about something tomorrow. And human nature is to deal with issues that exist today. So getting the person in that mindset of, I realize I have things I gotta take care of today, but I gotta take care of this stuff because at some point it's gonna happen. And if I don't do it, my family's gonna suffer. So that's probably the, the biggest obstacle. The second biggest obstacle fits into the second part that you mentioned about, like they know they need to do it, but they don't do it. Well, why is that? Well, I'll tell you my opinion, why I think that exists. A business owner, like the example I give is I have two kids. Uh, they, they happen to not be in my business, but I have two children. And, you know, all through life from when they were little kids, you know, it's like, you know, daddy, you got you know, my brother, a green lollipop. I want a green lollipop. You know, you got him a bike. I want a bike. You got him a, a phone. I want a phone. And you spend your whole, you know, that whole time as your kids are growing up, 
I love you the same. You're both equal. I'm always going to love you the same and give you the same. You know, stop playing me against one another. And then one day, you're like 65 years old. You look in the mirror and you say, phew, you know, I got this really successful business. And I have, you know, one of my kids in the business. And I have one of my kids not in the business. And now I got to figure out how am I going to divvy up my assets? And I've spent my whole life telling my two kids that I love them the same. And I'm always going to give them the same. And then I sit there and go, but if I give both of my kids the business and one is in the business and one's not in the business, that's not really fair to my child in the business because now they have a partner that knows nothing about the business and isn't, you know, investing the time. So yeah. a lot of times what happens is more so men than women. I mean, generally men, at least in the 60, 70 age category, most of the businesses are still run by men. Obviously that's changing now, but, Men, fathers, have a little bit of chicken in them because they sit there and say, you know, if I address these issues with my kids, my daughter-in-law already, I don't have the greatest relationship with my daughter-in-law. And if my daughter-in-law finds out that the way I'm treating her husband, my son, she doesn't think is fair, then that's going to hurt my relationship. It may jeopardize my ability to see my grandchildren. So I'm going to just shut up and not do anything and not say anything. And you know what? Let them deal with it when I'm dead, you know, and at least while I'm alive, I'll keep a good relationship with everybody. And the worst thing that I'll be blamed for when I'm dead is I can't believe my dad or mom didn't take the time to do this planning. So those are probably the two biggest reasons, Nick, that you find people don't do planning. Let's run through what are some of the common issues that are caused. I and mean, we've talked about con family conflict a little bit, but are there other issues outside of that that are, are maybe unforeseen issues that a lot of people run into when planning isn't done properly from a business succession standpoint? Well, yeah. I mean, besides, you know, potentially having a greater tax burden when you die by not, you know, doing planning, sometimes that isn't the case. Uh, but I mean, it, it's the issues like I was talking about, you know, have a kid, let's use a simple scenario. I have two kids, I own a business, I built up the business. One of my kids is in the business, one of my kids is not in the business. The whole dynamic of how do I divvy things up? So if I take the position that I'm, here's my choices. I give the business to my two kids 50-50 because I kind of take the position they're my two kids and I'm going to treat them equally. You know, then I have the issue I mentioned before where I have one kid who's involved in the business and now his brother or sister is saying, well, you know, I don't care that you, you were in the business. I own 50% of the stock in the company. So like, you can't just take whatever salary you want. I'm going to tell you what salary you could take and we're going to just have bottlenecks all the time and we're never going to be able to run the business. Or if you as the entrepreneur in the business want to grow the business or buy another business, I could say, well, I don't want to take that risk. I'd rather just get my income that I'm getting from the profits of the business. So that's one way I could do it. Second way I could do it is say, okay, I'm going to give my son or daughter in the business either the voting stock or the control of the shares, you know, more than 50%. And I'm going to leave my other kid some minority interest. And I may say, okay, that seems fair. I'm kind of giving something more to my kid who's running the business. The problem is most businesses are subchapter S, LLCs, where 
the, the, the son or daughter that's in the business controls things. They could say, you know what? The business made a half a million dollars this year. I'm just going to raise my salary by a half a million. And I'm going to pull all the profits out of the business. And I'm not going to give anything to my brother or sister because why should I give them anything? They're not contributing to the business. So now they own you know, 36% of a closely held business that they're not getting any distributions from. They're not getting a salary. They have no control over when the business is sold. So they really have a piece of paper. It's almost like a, a wasted asset that mom or dad left to them because they're not getting anything from it. Then the other way to do it is say, okay, I'm going to leave the business to my son or daughter, and I'm going to try to give other things to my other child. The problem is most entrepreneurs, the reason they're successful is they reinvest a lot of their money back in their business. So they end up many times having the the majority of their estate in their business. So maybe they have a home or two, maybe they have a little bit of money in a pension plan and, and their business is their biggest asset. So then they have to sit there and go, well, wait a minute. I don't really have enough assets to leave my kid who's not in the business. And then if I leave the business to my son or daughter who's in the business and I leave my other child, you know, my two homes, then my child who gets the two homes says, that's not fair. These homes are nowhere near as valuable as the business. And let's be real, dad or mom, my brother didn't build this business. You built the business. And most of the, the earnings are because of what you did, not what he did. So it's like, why should he live this better lifestyle than me? And then the kid in the business says, well, wait a minute. I'm getting a business. I have all the risk. You're getting a couple of homes. You could sell those homes and cash it in and get a couple of million dollars and have safety. I have all the risk in the business. I don't like I don't think the deal I got's a fair deal. So that's the kind of stuff that happens and nobody is ever happy. Like no matter how you do it, no matter as good as I am at what I do, and as much as I'm going to show people all the options, there's always going to be somebody in that family tree that's not going to be perfectly happy with the way things were done. I agree with you. And one of the things that comes to my mind as you talk about this is that oftentimes well, there's kind of two um two approaches to this from, from an estate planning standpoint or a succession planning standpoint. One, me as a business owner, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to, they're in these documents. And when I die, you know, here family, you can look at the documents and figure out what I decided versus, and that is probably going to cause tons of conflict. Like you've just talked about. The second one is way in advance before death or the business starts to move is having these family councils and having these family meetings and saying, Hey, this is the business succession plan that, that we're thinking about, or that we want to come up with. Not that your input is going to make a final decision, but we would like your input so that everybody's on the same page. So that if I get hit by a bus in a year, you guys kind of already know how this is how this is being laid out and we're we're everything's out in the open and on the table and things like that which in my mind seems like that would be the better approach right is this open communication approach sometimes i think that's hard for us just culturally as a society is to talk about those privately held things you know with with our children and close family members for whatever reason so with that being the case with what you do on a daily basis, what are some of the, the steps that business owners can take to plan successfully? Like what are the, what's the advice that you give them? How far out in advance should they even start? And what are the first couple of steps they need to make sure that, that, are, that they're doing? 
Well, yeah. I mean, just to go back, Nick, to what you said and you cover some of the things we talked about. I mean, obviously, it's a lot better if you address these things and, you know, put it out on the table. And, you know, I always think of the line from that movie, A Few Good Men, You Can't Handle the Truth. You know, he's so great in that scene. But, you know, sometimes people just can't handle the truth, you know, and it's like, you know, if that like has the two kids sitting there and let's say they're both in the business and dad says, you know, Nick, you know, I've decided you're going to run the business. I'm going to put you in charge. And, you know, the other brother or sister sitting there and like thinking like, you got to be kidding me. Like, why are you picking Nick to do this? And like, you have to like, tell him like it is like, you know, you guys, Nick's been in the business longer. You know, Nick has invested more time in the business. He's, he's demonstrated things you haven't like, that's not an easy conversation for dad to have with their two kids, you know, because that other child is definitely not walking out of that meeting happy. And like I said, if they go tell their spouse, it's going to cause even more issues. So clearly, if you have the courage to have the openness, to have dialogue, always better. As far as when to do it, well, I always tell people, you always have a plan. Even if you haven't planned, you have a plan. Meaning, if you die and you haven't done anything, either any planning, either if you have a basic will, your will is going to dictate who gets everything. You know, it's in a document. Even if it's done 37 years ago when you had like no kids or your kids were babies. Or if you're even worse and you don't even have a will, then it's going to be based on the intestacy laws of a state. Every state is different as to who gets your assets, whether you're married, a spouse, your kids, parents. So there's always a plan. So if you don't plan, you still have a plan. And that's one of the things you try to, I try to at least get across to people. Understand, I understand why you're having trouble planning, but you do understand that your lack of planning there's, it's not like you don't have a plan. There's still a plan. Here's the plan. Like, is that the plan you want to see happen? And generally they're going to go, you know, no, I don't want that to be out. So understand that whatever you do is going to be better than that. Okay. So let's try to do it. Now, as far as when, I mean, look, generally when, generally when you're younger and if you have no partner, your kids are too young to come into business let's say your spouse isn't going to really want to be involved in the business. And, you know, there isn't any like key employee that can kind of run the business. Generally, your plan then is, do I have enough money to leave my family if I die or I get sick? You know, do I have enough life insurance? Do I have enough disability insurance? You know, is my family going to be okay? Because if I die, there really is no succession plan because I don't really have anybody to have the successor. So let me at least leave my family enough money so my wife or my husband could go out and try to find a buyer for the business. And they're never going to get fair value for the business because they know it's being sold out of desperation. But at least I gave them, you know, I got them a million, two million, five million, ten million dollars of insurance. I know they're okay. So usually that's kind of the plan early on because there's really no other plan. I maybe you you know some competitor that you're really friendly with and you tell your spouse, look, if some if I die or I get sick, meet with Nick. I trust Nick. He's like family. He's he's gonna do the right thing. He's gonna take over the business. He's gonna pay you a fair value for it. I mean if you're lucky enough that you have somebody like that and you know I've yeah. always said you, you never know how people are when you're not there anymore. Like, you know, some people could, you know, have a good poker face. So, but 
you still, even in that regard, like if, even if I knew Nick, you were my guy, like you were like a brother to me. And I knew that if something happened to me, you're going to take care of my family. I'm still going to make sure I took care of my family. I'm going to still make sure I have enough insurance, enough other assets so that whatever happens, they'll be okay because you could be a great guy and you could buy my family out over a period of years, but then a pandemic could occur and you're bu- you could be in the restaurant business and all of a sudden nobody's coming to your restaurant and you're out of business. I can't rely on that. I got to still take care of my family. So, so that's like in the early part of it, that's kind of the kind of planning people do. Once I would say once you get to a point where either you have a partner, you have key employees, you have kids involved in your business, that's where you have to start to think about these things. Now, let's say you're my son, Nick, and you're in the business and you just came in the business. I may not be ready yet to like start giving you shares of stock in the business. Like, I don't know how good you're going to be. I don't know if you're going to, this is really, are you here because you either feel obligated to be in the business or you couldn't find yourself and at least you have a job and you can make some money, you know, working for me. And that's why you're in the business. Or do you really want to be here? And do you really want to run, you know, you really want to run this business. So I got to, I got to sense, feel that out. But once you're with me X number of years and I see you're committed and I think you're doing a great job, you know, then I have to start thinking like, okay, am I leaving this business? Well, let me take a step back. I'm going to give you a scenario that I think your audience will appreciate because it fits into this. I go out and meet with you, Nick. You own a, you know, you're a business owner. You're sitting in this big, beautiful building. You know, we'll we'll make it out in the Midwest somewhere. You got this big property. You got tons of employees. And I I got introduced into you by a friend and I come and have a meeting with you and you're sitting behind this big desk in this big office. And I go, Nick, one of my first questions besides, you know, congratulations, great business. So Nick, what percentage of the business do you own? And you say to me, I don't own any of the business. And and let's say you're in your 50s. And I kind of know where this is going, but I keep going. So I go, all right, Nick, well, if you don't own any of the business, who owns the business? And you go, my mom, who's like 80 something years old. And again, I know what happened, but I keep going. So I go, so Nick, like, tell me what happened. Well, Steve, here's what happened. I came into business. I was like in about 30. My, my, I've been in the business now like 20 years. When I got into business, you know, my dad was like 60 years old. He hadn't gotten around to doing planning. He had a heart attack. He died. And he had a simple will. His will said, when I die, I leave everything to my spouse. I mean, how many people in this country do you think have a will that say, if I die, I leave everything to my spouse? I mean, especially if they haven't done planning. It's like a a plain vanilla kind of will. Well, that was 20 years ago. The business was a $5 million business when I came into business. The business is now a $100 million business. And and I, I say, I assume, Nick, has your mom, does your mom involved in the business? No, she's never, like she almost never steps foot in the business, but she still owns hundred percent of the stock in the business. So I guess, Nick, you grew this business from a $5 million business to a hundred million dollar business. He goes, yeah. I go, well, Nick, I'm going to go over a couple of things with you of which maybe you know this, or maybe you don't, but I'm just going to let you know it. Number one, when your mom dies, this business is in your mom's estate, which means this $100 million business is going to be subject to estate taxes when she dies. The government's not going to say, oh, 
oh, by the way, we're not going to charge estate taxes because Nick really was the one who did all of this stuff. Because if Nick doesn't own any of the shares, this is all grown in mom's estate. Secondly, Nick, just out of curiosity, you said you had two siblings, a, a brother and a sister. Who's the closest with your mom? Oh, no question, my sister. Why? Well, she checks in on my mom all the time. She brings over her kids, the grandkids. You know, my mom's the closest with her. Who's, who's your mom least close with? Me. How come? Well, because we fight over all these things pertaining to the business. And, you know, my mom wants to take out this ridiculous salary and I want to put money in the business and I want to make acquisitions and she doesn't want me to make acquisitions. And she tells me how much money I could take out of the business. So I guess, Nick, do you have any idea what kind of planning your mom's done? No, she's never told me anything. A matter of fact, I even use a different lawyer because there's like a conflict. I have no idea. So I say, Nick, is it reasonable that your mom could disinherit you? Like she could actually leave this business to your brother and sister? No question. Is it possible she could leave it equally to all three of you? No question. What's the odds she's going to leave you the business, Nick, and not give any of it to your brothers and sisters? Almost zero chance. So that's an example, going back to we were talking, Nick, about planning. That's an example of somebody whose kids come into business. They're 60 years old. Nobody thinks they're going to die tomorrow. All of a sudden, they die. They leave everything to their spouse. And, and one thing I've learned in this business, there's a difference between being a mother and, and, a, and a wife and being a widow. When you're a widow, especially if your husband did most of the heavy lifting, you're nervous and scared, and you don't handle things the way you did when you were a mom. So that's a perfect example of the kind of things that happen when people don't plan. So you talked about kind of the, the most basic planning is having insurance or assets to protect your family if you leave, right? When you start to bring partners in the business and things like that. What about like, in your opinion, what's the best way to handle like buy-sell agreements? So in this scenario that you just gave us, right? Dad owns a business, leave everything to to his wife when he passes away. He unexpectedly dies. She gets everything. The son builds the business to $100 million and he's actually out. He's basically built a $95 million asset, doesn't own any of it. So one of the ways around that is buy-sell agreements, right? Like, hey, if if I die, I, I think that obviously works better with when you actually have a partner while you're alive. But what's the best way or what are some good ways for business owners to structure that in such a way that in that, like that scenario that you just gave us that would treat the son that's in the business, building the business fairly, treat the, the widow fairly um, from an estate plan standpoint, from your perspective, what's kind of an easy slash good way to handle those types of scenarios? Well, what in that scenario dad could have done, I understand why he didn't do it because he wasn't sure that the son, in this case, Nick, you were going to really be the one to run this business. But dad could have said, oh, I'm going to have a buy-sell agreement between my son and my wife. And let's just make it simple and assume there's life insurance just because it makes things easier. Because if you don't buy insurance, then the problem is the son owes mom money. But what happens if the son runs the business into the ground and what protection yeah. does mom have that she's going to get anything? So let's say, make it simple. The business is worth $5 million. There's a $5 million insurance policy. The son owns it. He's the owner and beneficiary. Dad dies. Son collects the $5 million, pays it to his mom, and now the son owns the business. So the positive of that is mom's got cash. 
let's assume five million is a sufficient amount of money for, to keep mom comfortable. Son now owns business. He grows business. Now it's in his name. The problem there is dad had two other kids. Nick, you had a brother and sister. So you've only been in the business a couple of years. Like I just gave you a $5 million asset because, you know, we paid for insurance and you just, it was really free for you because the insurance was there to buy it. What am I doing for your brother and sister? And like, do they now have to wait until mom dies to get an inheritance? Because mom's not going to start giving them all this money. So dad could have said, oh, uh, I'm going to leave certain other assets to my, my other kids so that when I die, mom gets the cash, Nick gets the business, and I give my son and daughter something else. Dad could have bought another insurance policy for the, the brother and sister to give them some money when dad dies. I mean, those are some of the things that could have happened in that kind of scenario. But again, a lot of times that doesn't happen because if dad dies before he knows Nick's the right successor, he, he isn't going to make those steps. Okay. Or he can make it more complicated. He could have an insurance policy owned by a trust. And a trust says that the insurance is for all of my kids to buy out the business. But then if only Nick's in the business and the other kids don't come in the business after a two year period of time, then Nick can buy out his brother and sister. So now in that scenario, five million of cash came in. Mom gets the five million. She's protected. The three kids in trust own the business. You're the only one in the business, Nick. My, your brother and sister don't come in the business. So two years later, you got to go out and get a valuation. And now, which could cause friction between you and your, your siblings, because they're going to want to get as much for the business and you're going to want to pay as little. And now you don't really have insurance. So you're going to have to pay them out over a period of time. And now you got to have the money to pay them out. So, I mean, that's, the, that's another more sophisticated plan that one could implement. Yeah, none of these are perfect. None is right or wrong, but that would be some of the ways people would handle that. Yeah, from from your experience over the past thirty years, what are, what's an example of a business owner that you've worked with that you thought did it an exceptionally good job of planning? In which, when you sat back and you helped them put it together and you looked at it, you're like, "This is great. The conflicts are going to be minimized because of it." What was the scenario? What did they do? What did you think that they did really well? And then maybe what are some pitfalls that, that uh, could have been avoided had they yeah, done it better? Look, I, I, think, I think when you when you could accomplish the following things, it's a great plan. Number one, mom, I mean, dad or mom who's ever running the business. Let's just say dad is this example. So dad knows that the plan he's implemented, he is in a financial position for the rest of his life and his spouse's life, that whatever planning he's done and whatever assets he's given away, he has more than enough to live comfortably the rest of him and his wife's spouse's life, no matter what happens to the business that he's protected. So that's the first thing. The plan has to have that. Secondly, when he dies, that his spouse, let's just say his wife, again, is amply taken care of, no risks, no issues, never has to go to sons or daughters to ask for money, okay? So that would be the second thing. Third thing in the plan would be that when mom and dad die, the second of the two of them die, that the planning 
will minimize what kind of estate taxes, assuming they're wealthy enough, what kind of federal or potentially state inheritance taxes. Every state's different, so I'm not going to get into it because everybody has different rules, but some states also have estate taxes. So, so that we've minimized whatever those taxes are going to be. So let's say that's the next part of the plan. Then when it comes to the children, the, the children, it's been thought out so that whether kids, all the kids are getting stock in the business, or I'm figuring out a, a way to divvy up assets that I've done it in a way that I and my spouse think is as fair as possible. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be equal. Kids are never going to think it's perfect, but I think is a fair way to do it. So, and that there's minimal reasons to have conflict. So let me give examples. Some people in the real estate business, okay, I'm going to leave all my real estate equally to my three kids. So now I got 12 buildings. My kids are one third each owners of the buildings and they're killing each other. This one wants to sell the building. This one wants to, you know, improve the building. This one wants to do this. So it's much easier, even though it may be hard to figure out, like, how do I make this even? It's much easier to say, oh, I'm going to give these two buildings to Nick. I'm going to give these four buildings to my daughter. I'm going to give these six buildings to my son. I've gotten an appraisal. We believe all of those are of equal value. Even though, Nick, you only got two buildings, you got some of the bigger buildings. So everybody's got, you know, $5 million worth of buildings. And now, Nick, you could do whatever the hell you want. And when I'm not here anymore, you own those buildings. If you run them in the ground, it's your problem. If you make them into an empire, great. Same thing for your brother and sister, and you guys don't have to be in conflict with each other all the time. So the more intermingling of things you do in your planning, the greater the chances are you're going to have friction amongst your kids. So it's best to see if I could figure out how I give this to you and this to you. Let's say I can't do that. Let's say I got you know, a business and I just can't figure out a way to do it. Then I have to put in provisions that, that say, okay. On these types of decisions, Nick is the one who has control to make these decisions. On these decisions, it requires majority, two out of three, to make the decisions. And these decisions require unanimous, like can't be done without everybody agreeing to it, okay? So I try to then take things out of the equation rather than you, you pull your brother to the side and say, my sister's a pain in the neck, we're going to team up on our, we're going to just outvote her on every decision. And then, you know, dad and mom is sitting up there in heaven looking down and saying like, this isn't what I really wanted to have happen. So I'm, I'm trying to ask, answer a difficult question as clearly as I can, but those are like the kind of ways I think through things. One of the things that, that is kind of reoccurring in, in what you're talking about is you're talking about giving the assets to, to each individual kid. And one of the things that I've been looking into or studying a lot is this generational wealth uh, scenario, right? Where, where, where wealth lasts for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, it, it's difficult to do because statistically the third generation ruins it. Um, it's hard to keep everybody on the same page. But two things have come up as they've done the, the research and the study on these ultra wealthy families and how they've done it is one, they keep all the assets in a central location. So a generational trust, right? And then they have a, then that trust is, is managed by a committee of, of, of some sort. The second thing is, is 
every family member has to be involved in the business in some way, whether they work in that business directly or have some other type of affiliation with that business. And they went through, I, I've seen several different scenarios. One of the ones that stands out in my mind most uh, prominently is there's a, there's a family in Japan. And back in the 1500s, I think, they started building Buddhist temples. And to this day, that's the family's business. It's, it's a construction company building Buddhist temples. And they went through the scenario that every member of the family has to go through an apprenticeship inside the business to learn a, a very unique skill set for that business. And they were talking about some of those apprenticeships last 10 years for the individual family member to, to get good at it. My question to you is, do you think that's a realistic scenario as a whole to be able to keep all the assets in one place and kind of perpetuate this wealth generationally, having it managed by a committee that, that maybe manages this generational trust? Well, first off, and I probably should have made it clearer when I was giving examples before, when I said give it to Nick or give it to, you know, your siblings, I wasn't necessarily meaning outright. You know, I'm a very, very, very big believer in trust. You know, trusts are wonderful, not just, not just from an, a tax standpoint, but also to protect, you know, against divorces and protect against creditors. Because if you talk to most parents, one of the biggest fears they have is I don't want to give assets to my son or daughter and then they get divorced and then they end up getting some of, you know, my family's assets or, or somebody who sues. And that, the yeah. And that's a real concern. I mean, when, when oh, you look at, when you look at the family dynamic, let's just take a husband and wife, three kids, right? Those three kids marry spouses you hope you're getting the pick of the litter in those spouses, but there's oftentimes, you know, there's, there's a bad, <laughs> there's a bad egg somewhere or over time, somebody becomes a bad egg and just destroys the family dynamic. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a real scenario that, that I think all of us, you know, no matter how wealthy we are, we, you kind of have to hedge against, you hope it doesn't happen, but it's a good idea to kind of hedge against the crazies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if you just go by pure statistics, if you have three kids, the odds that one of them are going to get divorced is probably pretty high. I mean, yeah. I realize depending upon religious things and where you live, you know, there's all different you know, ways these things happen. But on average, if you have three kids, you're going to probably have one get divorced. And probably even if you have two kids, you're going to end up with one of them getting divorced because, you know, you know my generation – whether our parents liked each other or not, they generally didn't get divorced. Yeah. You know, my generation, a lot of people have gotten divorced. So if I'm divorced, which I'm not, but if I'm divorced and I have three kids, what's the odds that one of my kids are going to get divorced? You know, they're going to know it's acceptable. Look, my dad and mom got divorced. So how, how are they going to tell me it's not okay if I get divorced? So the trusts are great. I love trust. I love everything about trust except one thing. The one thing I don't like about trust is the hardest thing, and that is who is the trustee? And then who's the trustee if that trustee can't be the trustee? And, you know, other than using an institution like, you know, a, you know, a, a bank that's a special that specializes in it, which the advantage is you're dealing with a professional trustee, and theoretically, they're never going to go away because even if the bank closes, some other bank will take them over. But it's very impersonal. Their fees are high. 
And, you know, sometimes they're very rigid and they don't want to get sued. So they're unwilling to take any kind of, they, they're not, they're not going to go outside the box on anything to do it. Yeah. So if you put things in trust, that's the challenge. Like, okay, well, I, I, I think I could have like, Am I going to pick my one of my kids as trustee? Am I going to pick all my kids as trustee? Am I going to pick my accountant as trustee? Am I going to pick my lawyer as trustee? Am I going to pick some trusted advisor as trustee? And then what happens if something happens to that person? Because it's a, a dynasty trust. It's going to be there for generation after generation. I mean, who the hell is going to be there 30 years from now and 60 years from now? And how do I plan this out and figure this out? That's where sometimes people come like overwhelmed and they're almost like, you know what? I can't rule from the grave. Like, you know, I want to protect like my kids and maybe my grandkids, but like beyond that, it's impossible for me to know what's going to go on. And if they're going to screw up and they're going to piss away the money, then it is what it is. You know, I'm not the Rockefellers that I got to have, you know, generational wealth for the next thousand years, you know, but clearly putting it in trust is great. And as far as your example of the apprenticeship, yeah, look, in the perfect world, that's great. I don't think that's very common outside of very, 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 very wealthy families that may do things like that. I think like the average, you know, person who owns a business that's worth $10 million, you know, isn't going to have apprenticeships for all their kids and have like right. this rigid way of doing things. It, you know, I'm not going to say it's a bad idea, but it, I think it's not that common, you know, to do that. Yeah. I mean, that that's definitely one of the the outlier scenarios. I just thought it was interesting of how one, I thought it was interesting of how since the 1500s, they've been able to get each family member to actively, you know, come come work in the business. But more importantly, it was this generational wealth of, you know, keeping all the money together. The family has access to the money, but they can't, you know, liquidate the money and then it's governed by by a body. So this is a, this has been a, a, a great conversation. If listeners want to get a hold of you, if they're in a position where they need to start looking at uh, succession planning for their business and want to talk to you about ideas on what that may look like, some of the things that they need to be doing, how would they get a hold of you? I'll give you a couple of things. First off, uh, if they go to stephengoodman.biz, they could download a free copy of my book, which goes into a lot of the things we talked about. I think the book is written more for a business owner than an accountant and attorney. Uh, second thing, they can go to shgplanning.com, which is my website. I have about 60 articles I've written on a multitude of subjects, of which some of them we covered um, covered tonight. Um, they, my email address is sgoodman at shgplanning.com. And my cell number, which in the COVID era is the easiest way to get in touch with me, 516-297-7390. And I want to thank you, Nick. You asked a lot of really, really good questions. And I thought we had a good back and forth. Yeah, I appreciate uh, your your commentary, Steve. I appreciate your knowledge and your willingness to share it. This is an important subject that a lot of business owners are neglecting or choosing not to address. And and when I when you look at creating wealth, especially wealth inside and outside of your business, these are things that, that you've got to address. So I appreciate you coming on. And listeners, if you want to get a hold of Stephen, uh, go ahead and and hit his website, uh, download his book shoot him a text, shoot him an email, maybe whatever the best way is for you to contact him and, and he'll, he'd be happy to, uh, to respond to you. So until then, or until next week, we will talk to you next time. See ya. Hey, real quick. Are you a six or seven figure entrepreneur who is making great money, but like so many other unwealthy successes, you're not seeing your wealth grow? If so, I can help. 
Head over to nicholascjensen.com forward slash wealth and take my free wealth building assessment now. Learn how to become a strategic investor and start building the wealth you and your family deserve. Again, that's Nicholas, the letter C, Jensen.com forward slash wealth. We'll see you next time on Unlimited Wealth.